The Old Testament reading is Isaiah 63, verses 15 and 16. And in this passage, uh, the prophet Isaiah, on behalf of the people of Israel, uh, he acknowledges, confesses that the Lord is their father. Uh, but it wasn't until the coming of Christ and the pouring out of the, old, uh, of the Holy Spirit that the people of God uh, began to pray to God as their father. And this is something that we will uh, consider today uh, in the sermon. But uh, first, let's hear from Isaiah chapter 63, verses 15 and 16. And this is the infallible, the inerrant word of our God. Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. For you are our father. Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from of old is your name. And now let's turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. And this will be the passage that we will uh, consider uh, this morning. Romans 8, 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who, who, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This morning, we will consider our consideration of what is called the order of salvation. And just as a reminder, the order of salvation consists of those acts and works of the grace of God by which he applies to us uh, that redemption of uh, uh, that redemption that was purchased for us uh, by Jesus Christ, by his uh, death and resurrection. And that application of that redemption is done by God. Uh, by his spirit and the gracious act of God that we will consider this morning is adoption. Adoption is that act of grace whereby God makes us his children and he gives us all the privileges, all the rights that belong to the children of God. Uh, to put it most simply, adoption is uh, by God's grace, God becomes our father. God becomes our father. Now, in one sense, in a very limited sense, it is biblical to say that God is the father of all people. And that is true in the sense that God is the creator of all people. He is the one who makes all people in his image. Uh, when the Apostle Paul preached to the pagans in Athens... Uh, he quoted one of their own philosophers, 
uh, saying, For we are indeed his offspring, God's offspring. And we are God's offspring. He is our father in the sense that he is the creator of all people. And he created all people in his image. And so in that very limited way, we could say that God is, in that sense, the father of all people. However, the scriptures are very clear to teach us that by nature, because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, God is not truly our father. As sinners, apart from Christ, God is not our father. But the Bible tells us quite the opposite. Ephesians 2, 2 and 5, 6 tells us that we are sons of disobedience. Ephesians 2, 3, we are children of wrath. In our sin and unbelief by nature, we are not the children of God. What Jesus said of the Pharisees is true of us as well, apart from grace, and that is we are of our father, the devil. And so God is not... In our sin, God is not our Father, but praise be to God in His love and in His mercy towards us in Jesus Christ that He has delivered us. He has delivered us from our bondage to sin and death. He has delivered us from the tyranny of the evil one, and He has made us His children. He has adopted us into His family. He has made us His sons and daughters. And that is the grace of adoption. Uh, Last week, we looked at uh, the grace of justification, and justification is a wonderful act of God's grace because it is by justification that God forgives our sins. He declares us to be righteous. He covers us with that perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, his son. But you could say, and people have said, and I believe it is true, that adoption is an even greater blessing than justification. In justification, God is our righteous judge who declares you and me to be not guilty. And that is wonderful. That is glorious. We praise God for that. But in adoption, God is something more than our righteous judge. He, is, he becomes our loving father. He not only declares us not guilty, but he brings us into his home. He makes us his children. And he begins that loving relationship that he has with us for all eternity. He begins that with adoption. Of course, God loved us before he adopted us, but he adopts us so that we can enter into the Father's love. And so for this reason, adoption has been called the highest of the privileges of redemption. And today I want to consider with you two dimensions uh, to this grace of adoption. They are like two sides of the same coin. Uh, First of all, in Jesus Christ, God is your father. And the other side of the coin is, in Christ, you are God's son or his daughter. So first of all, in Christ, God is your father. Of all the remarkable incredible things that Jesus did on earth. One of the most um, amazing things that Jesus did uh, during his ministry here on earth is that he prayed to God, calling him father. Uh, This was a remarkable thing because this is not what the Jewish people did. They may have addressed God as Lord, the God of glory, 
Almighty God, but they did not address him as Father. There is no precedent in the Old Testament for that. Now, we saw from Isaiah that God did reveal himself to Israel as their father. So they understood that, and yet they did not have that sense of intimacy that they could address God as father. And yet that is how Jesus prayed. He prayed, my father. And when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, this is how he taught them to pray. He says in Matthew 6, 9, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now for the disciples to hear this, to hear Jesus tell them, pray to God like this, our father. This would have been a strange and wonderful thing that they could address God as their father. And when you think about it, when you think about what we are in our sin, in our rebellion against God, it staggers the imagination that God should take us as sinners and that he should make us his children and that he should call us to be his children who call out to him with that term of endearment, Abba, Father. Just as Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the eternally begotten, eternally beloved Son of God. And just as he prayed to God saying, Abba, Father, so you and I, you and I too, in Jesus Christ, we address God in that same way, Father. And that is the grace of adoption. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Notice it says here that God gave them the right to become children of God. The Bible doesn't often talk about, in fact, rarely does the Bible talk about our rights before God. The Bible has a lot to say about God's rights because he is God, but here God gives us a right. That is the right to become a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And what that means is that as a Christian, as one who belongs to Jesus Christ, you have an entitlement, you have a right to all the rights, the privileges, the blessings that belong to God's children. Oh, this is a wonderful, amazing truth, this grace that God has given us. When we looked at justification uh, some time ago, I think that was last week, uh, it was a long week. I can't remember how long ago that was, but uh, it was last week, I think, that we looked at justification. And we saw that justification is a legal or a forensic act on God's part. And it's the same with adoption. It also is a legal act where God legally transfers or changes our status as being children of the evil one because of our sin. And he then makes us legally the children that, of God that belong to him. It's not so undifferent uh, from adoption as we know it. It is a legal act in, w- in which a child is declared to be, according to the law of the states, a child of this father and this mother. In the same way, when you came to faith in Christ by the grace of God, God adopted you. He made you his own child. And this grace of adoption magnifies, it points us to see or helps us to see just the the greatness of God's grace in our salvation. When a child is adopted by a family, it is not because that child chose that family. 
The child did not initiate the process of adoption. The child was not actively seeking his new adoptive father and mother, but he was passive. And in the same way, in the grace of God, it is not we who have chosen God to be our father, but God chose us to be his children. And he brings us into our family. He gives us this grace, not because we have uh, initiated it or we're actively pursuing it, but because he simply loved us and gave us this new status as his children. And he brings us into his loving care. He takes us out of that bondage that we were under the devil. And he brings us into his home. It, manif- it manifests the love of God. First John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. What love the God, that God has given to us that we should be called children of God. And it's as if it's too unbelievable to be true. John goes on to say, and so we are. Yes, yes, you are. You are a child of God. A child who was adopted in, in this life, he or she wants to know more about his adoptive father and mother. And in the same way, we need to know more about our father, our father who has adopted us. We need to know more about his character, his nature. And there are some things, a couple of things that I want us to think about, about God as our father. First of all, your father is perfect in his love for you. His love for you is perfect. It's easy for us as Christians uh, to remember that God is our father when all of our circumstances are good and pleasant and comfortable. When God is smiling upon you with all of his blessings and he's showering upon you good things. When you enjoy prosperity and good health and so on, then it's easy to believe that God is a loving and kind and generous father. But God's love for you is just as perfect when in his providence he brings you through times of difficulty, pain, adversity. Uh, This is something that does come out in our New Testament passage in Romans chapter 8. In verse 14 of Romans 8, the apostle says this. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Uh, The Spirit of God indwells in those who belong to Jesus Christ by faith. And so as a Christian then, as one who believes in Christ, who entrusts yourself to Christ, you have been given the Spirit of God. You are it dwelt by the Spirit, you are led by the Spirit, and therefore you are a son of God. Uh, Paul goes on to say that that same Spirit that God has given us is not a spirit of slavery. He says that in verse 15. Uh, God has not given us a spirit of bondage to the law. That is the spirit that we were under before we knew Christ. God has not given us a spirit of fear and condemnation. That was the spirit that filled our hearts outside of Christ. But Paul says in verse 15, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. As you have heard, I'm sure, Abba, this is the Aramaic word for father. And sometimes you may hear that it means daddy, which isn't quite 
the case because that implies that only little children called their father Abba. But in fact, it was something that even adults would uh, use in addressing their father. So it wasn't a childish term, but it means something like dear father. It's a term of affection, of intimacy, of love for one's father, Abba. When Jesus prayed to God in the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of his crucifixion, this is how he addressed God, his father. He says in Mark 14, 36, as he prays to God, he says, Abba, Father. And Paul is saying here that by this spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit, whom God has given us as his people, that we may address Almighty God. We may address him in the very same way that Jesus himself addressed his father, Abba, Father. Now, Jesus is the Son of God by nature. Jesus, as the Son of God, was eternally begotten of the Father. There was never a time in eternity when Jesus was not the Son of the Father, when the Father was not the Father of Christ. We are children in a different way. We are children by grace. We have been adopted, not begotten of the Father, but adopted by the Father. And yet, and yet, our sonship, our status, is just the same as it is with Jesus. That just as he had every right to call God, Abba, Father, so we too in Christ have been given that privilege to address God as our Father. And notice that Paul says in verse 15, he says, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Abba, Father. That word that's translated cry, that Greek word, just like the English word for cry, It often means a cry of pain, a cry of sorrow, a cry of fear. And the context in this passage suggests that this is the kind of cry that's in view here, because in verse 17, Paul speaks about our suffering with Christ. And so this is a cry of distress. And Paul is saying here that it's especially in suffering when we cry out, out of our distress, we cry out, Abba, Father, it's especially then that God assures our hearts, the Spirit testifies to us that God is our Father in heaven. That was certainly the case when Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when his heart was filled with the sorrow, the agony, the horror of what he must soon endure upon the cross, he cried out to God, Abba, Father, out of his suffering. And it's the same for us who have the spirit of adoption. It is precisely when it is we are when when we are suffering that the spirit confirms to us that we are children of our father in heaven. So verse verse 16 says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So even in times of suffering and adversity, perhaps it's better to say, especially in times of suffering, adversity, sorrow. God wants us to know that we are his children. And God wants us to know that, especially when we suffer, because it's in those times that we are most tempted to doubt the fatherhood of God, that he is truly our loving father. It is when we suffer that we are tempted to think that God is not our father who loves us, but he has become our enemy. He is my tormentor. He is not my father. 
But you cannot, you cannot measure the love that God has for you by the painful circumstances that in his wisdom he is bringing you through. That is not an expression or uh, that is not the measure of the love that God has for you. In all things, in the painful circumstances, in suffering, but also in good times, God is your father who is working out his loving purposes for you. And particularly in those difficult times, as your father, he is at work in you to draw you closer to him, to pour out his love upon your heart by his spirit, to increase your love for him, to prepare you for the glory that he has for you in heaven one day. And so even in our suffering, especially in our suffering, he gives us the spirit of sonship by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, because we know that even in those times, God is working out his loving purposes for us. He's dealing with us as his children out of the love that he has for us. On Wednesday nights at our prayer meeting, we are working our way through the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, all of you may not be familiar with that catechism. It's a, a catechism that was written in the 1500s uh, by Protestants. And on the question about providence, it speaks of uh, the love of God, our Father, and how that is manifested in all things, in all the ways that God deals with us in his providence. Uh, the question is, what do you understand by the providence of God? And here's the answer. It's a beautiful answer. Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. All things come to us by the fatherly hand of God, who is working out all things for the good of his children. And so your father in heaven is perfect in his love for you. Uh, the next thing to know about your adoptive father is that he is generous in his provision. Most children enjoy giving, or most fathers enjoy giving gifts to their children. Most fathers want to give gifts that their children want. Of course, no father can give his child everything that he or she wants. That would be impossible. But in general, fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. Jesus uh, taught about that. I'm still waiting for my son to uh, ask me for an egg or a fish for a gift. Uh, he hasn't requested that yet, but if he did, I would not give him a serpent or a scorpion. Not because I'm good, but as Jesus says, even though I am evil, I know how to give good gifts to my children. But then Jesus says, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more the father in heaven who is perfect in wisdom and love give good gifts to his children? Our father is generous. He is so generous in giving us all things, all things that he knows that we need. And if you ask the question, well, how generous is he? How do we measure his generosity towards us? The answer is Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with us, with him, graciously give us all things? The father did not withhold that one thing that he prized above all else, his eternally begotten and beloved son. He gave him up for us all. Is there anything that God will withhold from us? Is there anything that our father not give us that is for our good? And that generosity covers everything that we need in this life. Jesus said that if God clothes the grass of the field, if he feeds the birds of the air, will he not much more provide for us the food and the clothing that we need? We who are far more value and worth than grass and birds. And Jesus tells us then, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? What is anxiety but a failure on our part to believe, to believe that we belong to God as our Father, that He wills to give us all things necessary for life in this world? By faith in Jesus Christ, you have come to know God as a Father, and you have every reason, therefore, to have perfect confidence that He will give you everything that you need, And this is one of the wonderful truths of adoption, that God adopts us into his family. He makes us his child, not to neglect us, not to abandon us, but to care for us, to provide for us. He is a good father. And God, as our father promises, not only to provide everything that is necessary in this world for life, but he has promised us a rich an unspeakably rich and glorious inheritance and the light that is to come and all the blessings, all the grace that God gives us in this life that we experience, every good gift and perfect gift that we receive from the Father. These are just tokens. These are just a kind of down payment on that inheritance that one day we will enter into when we come into the presence of the Father an inheritance that is rich beyond compare. Eternal blessedness, everlasting life, communion with Christ, even glory with Christ. Romans eight seventeen in our passage, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. And so God is generous. He is generous in his provision for us as his children. We live in a very sad world. We live in a world in which there are many people who have never known a human father, or they have never known a good human father. Perhaps their father has been distant, abusive, absent, unloving. And maybe there's somebody hearing me now who never had a real father at home. And maybe for that reason, you struggle with the very idea, the very concept that a father is someone who is good, someone who does good. Well, if this describes you, then believe this, that God gave us his son, Jesus Christ, not only that you should gain a savior from sin and death, not only that you should have salvation from all of that, but he gave us his son, Jesus Christ, so that you might gain a father. A father who loves you, 
a father who is perfect, a father who will never abandon you, a father who will never neglect you, a father who will never hurt you. And that is your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God has become, that he is your father in heaven. And so that's the first coin of adoption, that God is your father. The other side of that coin is that you are a child of God. You are his son, his daughter. Now, again, Jesus, he is the son of God from all eternity. By nature, he is God's son. And we are God's children by grace because we have been adopted. But again, however, just as truly as Jesus is the son of God, so you and I in Christ, we are just as truly children of God. And you could even say, because we enjoy this status of of being God's children, that the very words that Jesus spoke concerning Jesus at his baptism, that God could say those very words about you and me in Christ. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. In Christ, God can say that about us. One thing that being a child of God means is this, that as a child of God, you have been given the liberty of the children of God. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 say, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. In Jesus Christ, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And one way in which you are not a slave is that you are no longer bound to the law of God as a means of seeking to earn God's favor or acceptance or love. But you are a child of God. And what that means is you are already his heir. You already receive his love and favor and acceptance simply because he has adopted you. The riches of eternal life are already yours in Christ. And so there is nothing that you must do. There is nothing that you must. um, There's no standard that you must meet in order to earn the grace of God, in order to earn the love of God, in order to earn his acceptance and favor. But God has already given this to you in Christ. And so you are not a slave, but you are free. You are a son, a daughter of God. And so what this means is that your relationship to God is not one in which you are vainly seeking to win his love and acceptance by your performance, by your piety, by your obedience to his word. That is not how that is not the relation that you stand in with God in Jesus Christ. But your relationship to God is similar to that of a child's relationship to his earthly father. An earthly father loves his son or daughter. He loves him or her, not because they have obeyed him, not because they have attained some kind of standard of morality that's acceptable to him, but simply because he is his son. She is his daughter. And fathers, you know what I'm talking about. Mothers, you know what I'm talking about. Your love for your child never goes away, never decreases. It's not based on how good they are, but it's based on the fact that he is your son. She is your daughter. And that is the way in which God loves us as his children. There's 
security in the Father's love. There's assurance in his love for you. And therefore, you are free. You are free to serve him out of gratitude, out of joy, out of the love that you have for him. You're not a servant working for wages. You're not a slave uh, serving God out of a fear of punishment. But as a child of God, because you have received the love of God, you love him in return. And it's out of that love for him that you want to please him. You want to serve him. You want to worship him. You want to know him better. And so as a child of God, you've been brought into the liberty of the sons of God. And also as a child of God, you are to grow in the likeness of your father. We are to grow to be those who resemble our father. Uh, Several years ago, I listened to a podcast about uh, the actor Jimmy Stewart. Um, If you watch It's a Wonderful Life, like we do every Christmas, uh, he's George Bailey. And uh, all I ever knew about Jimmy Stewart was that he was George Bailey. It's a Wonderful Life, but actually he's a very interesting man. When he was at the height of his success as a Hollywood actor, he enlisted in the Army. Uh, This was during World War II. And he ended up flying several combat missions, several harrowing combat missions over Germany as a bomber pilot. And this is something that he not only wanted to do, but he insisted on doing. At that time, Hollywood stars during World War II, most of them were um, enlisted or drafted or whatever to uh, make movies, propaganda, or maybe propaganda is too strong a word, but to make movies supporting the war effort. But Jimmy Stewart wanted to fight. He wanted to be in combat. And why was that? Because it was a family tradition. His ancestors fought in the Revolutionary War. Uh, Both of Jimmy Stewart's grandfathers fought in the Civil War. Uh, His father was a veteran of the Spanish-American War and World War I. And so for him, then, to fight for his country, this was just part of his identity. This was, was part of who he was as the son and the grandson and the descendant of men who have fought for their country. This is just what a steward did. And the same holds for you as well. Your sense of identity, your understanding of who you are as a person is so much dependent upon, so much a function of who you came from, your father, uh, your family. Your father, your family have an incredible influence on the decisions that you make on how you see yourself, who you consider yourself to be in this world. And what adoption is all about is it's about God giving you a new identity. He gives you a new family. He makes you a son of his. And so in Jesus Christ, you are the child of God, who is a God of righteousness, of love, of holiness. You are the younger brother of Jesus. You are part of this family, and therefore you are to grow in the family likeness. You are to, as you are rooted in this identity of who you are as the Son of God, then you will want to be like God. You want to be like Him. You will want to be like Jesus. In humility, in love, in service, in righteousness. And so, as... The children of God, then, we are to to grow, to be like our Father in heaven. Thirdly, as a son or daughter of God, you are to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Uh, your adoption means not only that you have been brought into a new relationship with God so that he's your father, but you are brought into a new family in which you are now a brother or sister of the other children of God. And you are to love those children of God. First John 4.11 says, Beloved, if, so God, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In fact, the Bible is, says even more, says that if you don't love the children of God, if you don't love those whom God has adopted, you really haven't come to know God as your father. First John 4, 20 through verse 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That is a very convicting statement, very challenging statement from the word of God. If you say, I love God, but you hate your brother, the Bible says you're lying. If you do not love your brother whom you have seen, how can you love God as your father whom you have not seen? In verse 21, in this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Uh, I've quoted to you before a quote from John Calvin, who actually was quoting in turn a church father by the name of Cyprian. And the quote is, you cannot have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. Uh, We can change that uh, quote a little bit. You cannot have God as your father unless you have all Christians as your brothers and sisters. And so the grace of adoption means not only salvation, eternal life for you, but it also means a new obligation, a duty to love your new family, to love those whom God has loved and has brought into his home and adopted as his sons and daughters. Truly, there is no greater blessing than to be a child of God. It really is the the greatest of the redemptive blessings that God has given us. We are now children of God. And the question that I want to leave you with today is this. Is God, is God your Father in heaven today? Have you come to know God by faith in Jesus Christ as your Father? Can you pray to him the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray? Abba, Father. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have come to him, if you believe in Christ as your savior from sin and guilt, then you have been adopted by God. You are his son. You are his daughter. He is your good and gracious and loving father today, and he will be forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.